Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Gais Camendieta, and you listen to La Liga Lowdown. Hi, I'm Luis Garcia, and you're listening to La Liga Lowdown. Hi, I'm Carlos Soler. And this is La Liga Lowdown. Hi everyone, I'm David Garrido. Welcome along to this La Liga Lowdown mini pod with Ray Stakhanov and a broadcast on Sirius XM FC 157 in North America. And of course, we've been on an international break. Uh, ultimately, a bit of a frustrating one for the Spain national team. We will focus on La Roja in part one of this podcast. In part two, though, we'll also speak about La Rojita, that is the under-21s, the women's classical, which happened over the weekend, and the return of La Liga itself with one big matchup at the wonder taking centre stage and two of the La Liga Lowdown squad are joining me for the next half hour or so so it's hello to Paco Bolit in Valencia Hi David Hi La Liga Lowdown fans and also hi to Roman Darker in Barcelona How are you doing Roman? Hi there David ready to talk about football yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start off then and dive straight into, uh, admittedly, that defeat in Zagreb at the Maximir Stadium, a game which really ebbed and flowed, especially in the second half until the final whistle blew. Croatia 3, Spain 2, the final score. And that really blew League A Group 4 of the UEFA Nations League wide open. Um, let's start off with just a brief comment on the starting eleven chosen by Luis Enrique for this key, key game. So, David De Gea was in goal. Sergio Roberto... Sergio Ramos, Inigo Martinez, Jordi Alba with the back four, Saul, Sergio Busquets and Dani Ceballos in midfield. And then the front three, Rodrigo, Iago Aspas and Isco. Roman de Arquer, to you first. Any surprises there for you? Well, the strange thing is when there aren't surprises with Luis Enrique. But in this case, I think he didn't take uh, too many risks. Um, maybe Ceballos was a bit of a surprise because he isn't playing as much now with Solari in Madrid. So maybe we would expect Asensio to play instead of him. But Or he could have played with two contention midfielders like Rodri and Busquets, you know, to protect against the Croatian attack. But I think it was probably the, the smartest lineup to choose against the team. I think it, they were the most confident players and from the bigger clubs mainly. So I think it was the, the right choice. Okay, let's let's sort of go from from back to front, if you like, and let's start off with the goalkeeper. Um, now, David De Gea did make an important save in the first six minutes of this game. He sort of uh, diverted a shot from Ivan Perisic onto the post. Nice, smart save down to his right. But he did end up conceding three goals, and he has been one of the focuses for the reaction after this game. Um, what did you make of David De Gea's performance, Paco? Well, I don't really think it's fair blaming the half for all Spain's problems, especially as the defense was poor overall once again. But, and this is a big but, uh, poor De Gea can't really catch a break with the national team. Uh, lately, he isn't up to par when compared to previous keepers or even his previous form with the national side. And I don't really know how to explain his plunge in performance when compared, for example, to his usual Manchester United self. Um, in fact, I think playing Kepa against Bosnia later was a uh, sly message from Luis Enrique. He still trusts De Gea, but the keeper shouldn't get too comfortable as Kepa is a true, tangible alternative to his position. 
You're right about the Manchester United form. I mean, he's been pretty peerless. And also, actually, it seemed like he turned a corner um, after the World Cup and those first games in the Nations League, especially that game against England at Wembley when Spain played quite so well because he was crucial in that game. He made some vital saves, this sort of duel that he had with Marcus Rashford, his Manchester United teammate, and he, and he came out on top pretty much um, in that one. But you're, you're right to mention the defensive weaknesses, Paco. I mean, they were, they were poor, weren't they, Spain? They gave away uh, the ball for the first goal and then Tinyedvai was completely unmarked for the second at the far post beating the hair um, listen Roman what do you put this down to because it seems like this is sort of repeat offenders that Spain are just making these mistakes time and time again yeah it's it's really hard to say why this is happening there is a, um, um, a very clear parallel we could say because in the league in the Spanish league Barca have conceded 18 goals and Madrid have conceded 16 goals which is a lot for these teams so I think like the the players are not um, at their best in their own clubs and then this kind of uh, is transmitted into the national team somehow and they're not playing at their very best but I think the main problem is that we don't have world-class centre-backs right now in Spain as we had Sergio Ramos and Pique before they were at their best now Ramos is certainly one of the best but he isn't as good as a few before as a few years ago and he is, doesn't have this somebody next to him who gives him more confidence so i think it's there's a clear relation between the clubs and the the national team yeah, maybe uh, what Luis Enrique is partly doing. He did mention Inigo Martinez at the end of the previous international break, saying, well, if he carries on playing well for his club, he, he will be in his thoughts and, and, and on that list for the next squad announcement. Indeed, in he came. And maybe he's just trying to find that successor to Piquet. He's got maybe a couple of options. Nacho's one, Inigo Martinez is another. But maybe he's just trying to find that long-term successor. But, but moving sort of forward in the team... Well, here's a, a positive. Spain did show their, their fighting qualities in this game, didn't they? They twice scored to get back level and all of this away from home as well. Now, uh, we mentioned Dani Ceballos a bit earlier on. That, that first equaliser for me, but sublime play. Yago Aspas and Isco all involved as well. Uh, but Paco, what's your sort of general overall assessment of, of Spain's attacking options right now? Well, I, I like the names. I like the players and, and I like how young and exciting they all are. In fact, I see the offense as the one single redeeming quality of this inconsistent Spain, should we say, under Luis Enrique, because 17 goals scored in six games is quite a, an impressive stat. That's almost three goals per game. And it should be enough most of the time to take on most teams on the international scene. But again, there's nothing good to come out of this if the team doesn't learn just how to defend properly. That's the main problem nowadays. Not, not attacking, but learning how to defend properly. I suppose the good thing is that they will always create chances when you've got those creative players, when they're on form, we have to say, uh, Isco, Marco Asensio, who, who haven't been recently and haven't been getting the minutes that maybe they, they were used to last season. It means that you are still going to create opportunities. You're going to maybe get penalties, which means that maybe we should expect Sergio Ramos to be one of the top scorers for Spain going forward because now he's uh, assumed the mantle as their penalty taker as well as he has with Real Madrid. Roman, what, what are your thoughts on that? Are you, are you happy with Ramos taking the, the spot kicks 12 yards out well to be honest when I saw him grab the ball and go towards his penalty spot I was like oh no not Ramos again but he's scoring the penalties so I can't really complain you think there might be another player who's capable of doing that maybe a striker or a midfielder but it's it, it's Ramos he's the captain he's he's got confidence and he's scoring so I can't really say anything about that and we have to accept it and he's he's doing good I, I guess one of the things is though when, when you take a penalty, sometimes you just want him to take a straightforward penalty, not to, you know, penenka it down the middle, not to sort of clip it to the left, but actually maybe put his foot through it and maybe take a, a strong penalty. Because, you know, if you think of the great penalty takers down the years, one of the things that they could do is with power as well as accuracy, put it in a place that the, that the keeper couldn't reach. Maybe that's just not his style. Maybe maybe he is the man who will just sort of finesse it into, into the corners of the goal and try and sort of out, outwit the goalkeeper. Let's just um, have a look at some of the reaction to this game. Um, well, Luis Enrique himself said that it was an undeserved result. The football hadn't been fair. Uh, there was also an immediate defence of David De Gea uh, with the head coach claiming that, well, he can't make a mistake if the ball doesn't get to his goal in any case. So the inference there really is that others perhaps let him down. And in fact, Saul uh, echoed that by saying that if De Gea concedes goals, it's the whole team's fault. 
And also, uh, Lucho said his priority was, was the Euros, the, the regular European qualifying tournament to get through to the, the next major tournament rather than reaching this final four tournament next summer. But, and I, I found this interesting, um, I, I don't know what your read on this is, Bacco, but he said they could maybe do something a little bit more on the psychological side of their game. What do you think about that? Is there a, a weakness there? I actually agree with Luis Enrique on this one because I think that that psychological weakness of the team was pretty obvious against England and Croatia in two very different scenarios. They got thrashed in the opening minutes against England, okay, and they were overwhelmed at the last uh, few minutes of the game against Croatia. Um, it seems to me that youth is some sort of double-edged sword for this team. Uh, new blood is very useful when the atmosphere is, is positive, but when things turn south, this team seems, I don't know, lost. And without those two or three experienced veteran players they used to have in the past. I'm talking about Gerard Piquet, uh, Silva, uh, Cesc Fabregas, Torres, Villa, obviously Iniesta, who is going to be very tough to replace. And I also understand Lucho trying to downplay in some way the Nations League. But we must admit it's indeed a failure through and through. Spain should have done much better in, in these games. It is a time of transition, isn't it? I think we still have to admit that, especially after the nightmare of the World Cup, what happened there uh, with Lopetegui and Hierro and, and now the, the sort of new era under Luis Enrique. And of course, it's going to take time. It's simply going to take time for this team to really uh, bed in. And you're right to mention those names because, you know, Spain has been spoiled for, for the last 10 years to have uh, mm. the, the players of this particular quality and they are leaders. And I think this is something that we've mentioned before with, with, with certain teams, you know, uh, like, for example, Valencia in La Liga or maybe Real Madrid, that they haven't had leaders showing them the way forward. Well, maybe Spain needs to discover some uh, new leaders soon. Um, in terms of the final four, by the way, anyone who's interested generally in European football, I think I'm right in saying it's England, Portugal, Switzerland and the Netherlands. I think they're in the, the final four that will play off in this sort of little summer tournament. Um, there's, there's no... Yeah, added qualification or added benefit you don't get through to Euro 2020 you just lift a cup um, and, and, and that's fair enough uh, but in any case uh, Spain didn't get relegated but they didn't go through to the final four because they finished second in their group so then a few days later um, the second game of the international break for La Roja and that was the 1-0 friendly win over Bosnia and uh, playing at the Estadio Gran Canaria in Las Palmas first time for a while um, again let's just have a little look at, at the starting 11 for this one and back I'll go to you once I've, I've named it so Kepa in goal and, and you mentioned sort of maybe the, the message behind that Johnny Otto who ended up getting injured unfortunately Mario Hermoso making his debut Diego Llorente Jose Gaya with the back four then Marco Asensio Rodri Dani Ceballos again in midfield Suso and Isco supporting Alvaro Morata up front so much changed side nine changes from the team who'd started in Zago against Croatia only Dani Ceballos and Isco keeping their places so what, what were your thoughts on that Paco? Well, regarding Ceballos and, and Disco, they were the only ones to play again. And in fact, they were two of the biggest disappointments, in my opinion. I seriously think something is off with Isco. I really can't give his season even a pass. I believe he's slow. Uh, he's also thinking slowly, which is weird. And both items are a product of both physical and also I would say psychological slumps. Um, I don't know what what's really going on with Isco this season. Uh, I don't think I don't know if it's a confidence issue. I don't know if it it's related to the whole Lopetegui affair in in Real Madrid. I don't know if he's going to improve under uh, Solari. It's one of the weirdest uh, issues this this season in Real Madrid. I, I didn't like Ceballos either or Asensio. He seemed lost. In the pitch, I did like Bryce Mendez in the last few minutes, and I believe Pablo Fornals was absolutely magnificent, and and Rodri also did quite well. So most of the midfielders were were pretty good, but most of the team was um, I don't know I wouldn't say the word mediocre, but I, I think that there was obviously no uh, motivation going on as as a few days earlier against against Croatia. OK, we'll come back to Baris Mendes because I want to ask you a little bit more about him in just a moment. Um, but there were an, a, a number of players, as you say, who, who are going through a sort of funny spell. I mean, with Isco, I think it's particularly confusing because the moment that Julian Lopetegui got that job, 
knowing how important he sees Isco for Spain, you would have thought, right, well, he's going to name him in every single starting eleven. I'm going to put my mortgage on it. Isco every single time. And yet that, that never transpired. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a really confusing one. Um, uh, admittedly, there was one other player who, who really struggled, and that was Alvaro Morata, because when Spain started to create chances in the second half, he, he just missed them. There was, a, there was a free header, there was a, a shot over the bar and then there was that really clear chance wasn't there with Asensio managing to, to shoot and, and that shot was parried by the goalkeeper and Morata was there at close range and he, and he just simply couldn't, couldn't sort of keep it in, in goal. He couldn't actually divert it towards goal. He only bundled it wide. So, Roman, what, why has Alvaro Morata struggled so much? Well, I've always thought that since he left Madrid and went to Chelsea, he's always kind of felt betrayed by Madrid because he was great at Juventus. He was one of their best players. And then he came back to Madrid. He was really excited. It was his dream to, you know, make things work in the club of his dreams. He wants everything to go okay. But then in the end, they sold him out to Chelsea. And I, I just think that since he left to Chelsea, he hasn't been his, his best himself, you know? He hasn't played at his usual level. So his confidence isn't at his peak level right now. And we all know he's also capable of the best and the worst. Some games he's amazing, he's scoring every single shot. And then the next game, like we saw against Bosnia, he's missing the easy chances. So it's a bit unpredictable whether it's a psychological thing or it's just one of those games where he's not at his best. Yeah, do you know what? It, it reminds me, just actually, you, you, you're talking about that, Roman. I don't know if you remember that sort of, that famous little sort of shot of, of Isco and Morata on the bench. Um, this was in um, Zidane's sort of penultimate season, uh, 2016-17. And they were talking about sort of being on the bench a lot. And of course, they were part of the supposed B team, weren't they? And, and they were saying, well, you know, yo soy el segundo plato, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the second dish. And the other one says, si, si, yo soy el postre. I'm, I'm dessert. Almost to say, like, we're not the main meal. We're not the, the, the whole, you know, reason why people come to see the team play because we're, we're never on the pitch from the first whistle. And I wonder if it was to do with hunger because they were desperate to make a mark when they did get in that team. Uh, and of course they did because, you know, they, they both made hugely important contributions. I remember, I think Morata maybe scored a goal against Valencia to win it. And I think also Isco scored two goals against Sporting where he completely dominated that game and, and, and managed to get the win for, for Real Madrid. So I wonder whether it's maybe something to, to do with that particular factor. Um, and, and Isco was at least involved um, in, in the goal, uh, which was scored by Bryce Mendes. And, and in fact... Jose Gaya was crucial in this as well. Surged down the left. Uh, Isco then picked it up. Uh, he had a shot. It was saved. Bryce Mendes followed up. And uh, Bryce Mendes, by the way, came on as a substitute to make his debut for Spain. And he clipped the ball past the keeper uh, for 1-0. Um, let's talk about him, shall we, back on. I mean, he's on form right now. Four goals in his last four starts for his club, Celta Vigo, and Spain now. What, what, what do you like about him? Um, there's a little cool trivia fact on him. His agent is... Uh, Juan Sanchez, you might remember him, former Valencia striker back in the day who played uh, that famous first uh, season Champions League on, on the 2000 and scored a, a very famous brace against uh, Leeds United. Uh, one of them, obviously, a hand goal. Uh, and I think that Bryce has been properly managed and has been able to climb the ladder in a very responsible way. He's very mature for his age, he's quick, he's very resourceful, and also he's very versatile. He can play in, in many positions and obviously has that scoring quality being a box-to-box -box midfielder that uh, Luis Enrique already knew when, remember, he was at Celta and Bryce was an under-18 player. Uh, in my opinion, and he's one of the, this season's biggest names, hands down, and I believe He's the man of the moment, you could say, one of the biggest names right now in La Liga. Yeah, I, I think it'd be really interesting to find out how he's handled by um, Miguel Cardoso, who's the, the new uh, Celta Vigo head coach. So um, we'll, we'll keep a very close eye on, on that situation. But clearly he's in a, in a good moment. Um, he himself said that the manager can call on whichever player at whatever time, speaking of Spain, of course. And ultimately... Well, Lucha has a lot of options at his disposal. And actually speaking about where we are with Spain right now and, and looking to the future, he said this, this Spanish team, tiene buena pinta. It means you know, they're looking good, they're shaping up well, they've got good prospects. Um, give us your sort of health check on the team, Roman. How bright does the future look? Is there such a thing as having too many options, especially in midfield? And does that lead, if so, to a, a kind of lack of clarity about what Lucha's best starting eleven actually is? Well, I think Lucho was very clear on when he said that the target was the Euro Cup. So I think he took the Nations League 
as a kind of a test, you know, to try players in different positions, to try a bit in the midfield, in the defense, attacking. And I'm hoping that from that, he's found um, something close to his starting 11 for the qualification for the Euro Cup. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with how things have gone so far. It's true that defensively we are struggling a bit and, and that's one of the main problems Lucho has to solve. But as a whole, I see the team, as we say in Spanish, as a piña. Like they're very united, you know, they're always giving the 100%. Even when they were like um, behind in many games, they went for the goal. They kept pushing really hard and they finally found it in many occasions. Bosnia obviously is not the best example because it was a friendly game after being defeated by Croatia. But in other games, you know, Spain were always there. And so I'm really, really happy with his attitude. And I think um, things look pretty good, to be honest, with Lucho. Yeah, I think the one thing is we, we do have now a little bit more of an identity that the manager, the head coach really uh, has his image reflected in the team. Uh, we saw that at Wembley, certainly. And I think that's at least a starting point because clearly Spain lost that at the World Cup and at least they have recovered something. And of course, it's a useful dress rehearsal to have the um, the Nations League because what does really matter, as you said, is, is the qualifying for the European Championships and then um, going through to perform at that major tournament. Uh, OK, well, look, that's it for part one. Uh, thank you guys so far. Plenty to come in part two though of this La Liga Lowdown mini pod including uh, the under 21s uh, finishing the year in style uh, one draw uh, one win uh, in their friendly games also the women's classico going the way of Barcelona and we look ahead to La Liga match day 13 that's coming up shortly I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown midi pod with Reda Sakanov and broadcast on Sirius XM FC 157 in North America. I'm David Garrido uh, chatting you through this week's big talking points as far as Spanish football is concerned. Of course, uh, the focus has been on the Spain national team. We've discussed that in detail with uh, Paco Bolita and Roman de Arquer. Ultimately, disappointment for La Roja uh, for not reaching the Nations League final four, despite having actually won the first two games in their group and then losing the next two. But uh, in terms of them... I think that it's a, it's a longer term piece anyway. And for La Rojita, uh, that's Spain's under 21s. Well, they've been in pretty good form. Um, starting off with the last Wednesday's game, they beat Denmark's under 21s by four goals to one. They actually went behind early on in this game. And then Borja Mayoral scored a hat trick, two goals in the space of six minutes in the first half, the other one before the hour, all three clinical finishes. And the third, especially impressive, actually, involved in the build up, just a really neat little turn to relieve pressure and then lay the ball off and then made the run. He got the return ball Spain were breaking dangerously and he just dinked it over the Danish keeper and that was the the, the fourth goal and um, also if you haven't seen this look up Jorge Merez goal uh, because it's excellent it's the, the third goal of the four 
And for a centre-back to, to fire with this kind of technique, a volley through a crowded box, it was very impressive. So, so that was the third of the four. Um, but on Borja Mayoral, um, and, and Baco, I'll come to you on this, because, I mean, first of all, you know, scoring for fun in the, in the Euro qualifying campaign for the under-21s, eight goals there. Uh, Spain topped the group. They got one nine out of ten. They, they were easily the best team in that group. But on Borja, I mean, you've seen him a, a fair bit because obviously you go to Ciudad um, de Valencia, you go to Levante quite a lot. You've seen him, he's on loan. Hasn't started too many games, but what, what do you think he's got in terms of qualities to, to succeed in Spanish football? Well, I think he has quite a few qualities to to achieve greatness, but it is true that he's struggling at, at Levante, even though he has shown, as, as you said earlier, uh, with the under-21 team, that he's able to score very easily. He has that inside his blood, you could say. I don't really know. Maybe there are a number of reasons to explain why Paco Lopez doesn't start him. It is true that Roger Martí is Levante's main choice as number nine, and he obviously deserves it. Okay, no doubt on that. And also the new tactics uh, used really don't help Borja too much because Levante are playing with three at the back and five in the midfield and there's very little wiggling room for more than one striker on front. Uh, obviously Levante improved so Paco Lopez isn't going to change his new uh, tactics but uh, that might be punishing in some way uh, Mayoral. I think that he can make it and he will score important goals this season with the Granotas but he's going to have to work very hard to become uh, Paco Lopez's main forward or one of his main choices this season. I mean I, I think that there's no rush, is there? I mean, this guy's young. He's clearly talented. He's, for me, the word that, that strikes me is classy. I think that, you know, he works very hard. But, but when he finishes, OK, this was against a, a relatively poor Danish side. But nevertheless, when he finishes, it's got this real touch of quality about it. And this could be, you know, as I say, it's, it's, it's a long game here for him that he just takes his time and maybe a few more loan spells. We, we've seen it before. I mean, Morata, we were talking about before with Roman going to Juventus, etc. Um, and I think this is just part of his education. Education. Uh, and sometimes I think we, we expect, you know, especially with players getting ever, ever younger and reaching elite football ever younger, that we expect them to achieve everything before they're 25. But it doesn't always happen that way. And maybe it's just a case of, of, of being patient as far as uh, Borja Mayoral is concerned. Uh, we'll keep a uh, very close eye on his progress uh, at Levante. Uh, and then we had a game on Monday night in Caen, in France, um, where La Rojita travelled to, to face their under-21s. It was a 1-1 draw in the end. Uh, it was a penalty from Miquel Oyarzabal that gave Spain the lead. Alfonso Pedraza was, was fouled in the 18-yard box. And then uh, Carlos Soler, uh, he had an effort that hit the bar from outside the area. The French came back in the second half. They were a bit more competitive, perhaps feeling the pressure of, of being at home. And they did get their equaliser. Um, Mateta managing to escape Jorge Mere and beating Unai Simon, a player who, who recently obviously has, has fallen a bit down the pecking order at Athletic uh, with Iago Herrerin coming back in. A, a, a shame really for Spain because actually, other than that, uh, for Luis de la Fuente, so they, they've been relatively solid defensively and look quite comfortable, especially especially the centre-backs. Um, let's just sort of pick out a few more players here because the ones that either play abroad or in Segunda División might not be familiar to everyone. So uh, Sergio Valencia, who is uh, currently at Bordeaux on loan from Barcelona, playing at right-back. Ajelinho, who is now at PSV Eindhoven uh, in the Eredivisie in, in the Netherlands. Having come through the, the city football group clubs like Man City, New York City, uh, Girona as well, a few loan spells, but then finally got a, a permanent move to PSV. He was playing at left back. And also Jorge Tainz from Tenerife playing in holding midfield, but he's also uh, a sort of a centre-back, so he can play in a number of different positions. He's quite versatile. So an interesting, actually, you know, the ones that we've picked out uh, there, Angelino and, and uh, Sergio Valencia, that they're full-backs. And we know how important that role is in a team, especially when it comes to a Spanish team playing in a very typically Spanish way, and especially a Barcelona team playing in a Barcelona way. We know how Pep Guardiola uses his fullbacks, and he's done so throughout his managerial career, whether it be at Barca or at Bayern Munich or, or now at Manchester City. Again, lots of talents there to, to keep tabs on, and we'll do our best to do so. Um, but let's just change tack now, having discussed the, the under-21s, because there was a really important game in women's football um, at the weekend. And of course, the, the, the top division women's football in Spain is La Liga Iberdrola uh, and it was the Clásico and the Clásico uh, in women's football is not Barcelona against Real Madrid it's Barcelona against Atletico Madrid and Barca ended up winning this by two goals to one all the goals in the second half so Atletico taking the lead away from home Kenti Robles with a header uh, from across from the right 
But honestly, look this one up if you haven't already seen it. Barcelona's equaliser through Aitanabon Mati. Um, so the, the Atletico keeper gives the ball away, trying to play it out from the back. And then immediately sort of apologises and then stays still. And at this point, Aitana's latched onto the ball and she's still quite wide. It's a really acute angle, but she hits the lob absolutely perfectly. One bounce, back of the net. It was a stunning strike. Honestly, you know, if, if Lionel Messi had done it, we'd be talking about it. But no, it's Aitana Bonmati who's done it and, and we should be talking about it. And then... On comes super sub Tony Duggan, who uh, has been really sort of uh, actually performing when she's come on to the pitch as a substitute. Uh, formerly Manchester City, England striker, of course, as well. And uh, snuck into the far post to, to slot home the winner. Second minute of four added on. So 2-1 to Barcelona. Their first win in, in uh, four years over Atletico. In fact, the last time that they did beat Atletico, uh, they went on to win the title itself. So maybe that's a good omen. Um, Paco, just give us a, a little bit of background in terms of the women's game in Spain. Um, how much is it growing? Uh, is it is it making the back pages? Is it making TV shows? Um, is it is it getting that airtime? And also this rivalry, this classical rivalry, how much can it help it grow? Well, um, obviously its growth can be perceived and seen live every single weekend. And uh, actually there's a fun uh, bit uh, regarding what happened this weekend. There was controversy because one politician uh, tweeted and referred to a top division game as youth football. And there was huge, huge backlash by, by players, by uh, coaches, uh, slamming this, this politician, uh, his name is Inigo Errejón, uh, for confusing youth football with top division professional uh, women football. Um, but leaving this aside, um, women football has been subject of a huge revolution in the last few years, thanks to a few key individuals. Uh, I would like to name his Valencian, Pedro Malavia is his name. He was one of the guys responsible for Valencia's first season in women football back in 2008, 10 years ago. He then went on to become La Liga's top official for women football and has even worked at FIFA in a, in a top position. So his growth has, has been more or less parallel with uh, Valencia's growth from uh, one team uh, who fused with another one back in, in 2008 to one of the uh, biggest teams uh, nowadays in, in Liga Iberdrola, which is the name of, of the competition. Um, and regarding this new rivalry, uh, Barca and Atletico, they're obviously the current top dogs and, and their games are, are actually amazing as as you uh, told our, our listeners a few minutes ago. But we shouldn't forget Levante, who have quite the story behind. They dominated back in the 90s with an all-star squad, and they have made this summer an amazing effort with huge signings. Uh, Ruth Garcia, for example, one of the uh, top players for Barca, uh, she's a centre-back, she signed for Levante, she came back to Levante after many seasons at Barca, and she's one of the captains already. Uh, Levante have splurged the cash this, this summer uh, with the aim of, of creating a, a team who might battle toe-to-toe -to -toe with both Barca and Atletico. So I believe that we are living some sort of golden age uh, in, in Spanish women football. And I seriously uh, would like people to consider uh, attending any single game uh, in Spain and they will thoroughly enjoy what they are going to see. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Paco, because I actually went to see uh, Barca take on Levante recently uh, in Barcelona. I actually went there to, to, to see Tony Duggan and, and catch up with her, obviously as a British player playing over uh, in Spain. Um, uh, it was a goal of straw, but it's a really entertaining game. And um, Levante, especially in the first half, really technically very impressive. Lots of uh, quite diminutive players, but they were running rings around Barcelona. Um, but Barca had had some useful players. Um, Andres Alves, who plays sort of on the on the left of the three, in a sort of four-two-three-one. Um, so uh, there were a number of good players. Of course, we mentioned Daitano Bomati, um, a young player who's really really starting to grow into the game, grow into herself, you know, becoming a, a woman and really sort of expressing herself out there on the football pitch and, and rightly attracting all sorts of, of positive coverage and, and positive headlines. Um, Roman, how, how strong is this um, Barca Femini team? Because 
I mean, they're not just contenders for La Liga itself, but also the Champions League, the Women's Champions League, uh, where they've got through to the, the quarterfinals we played uh, next year. Uh, and they're in the, the, the sort of easier sort of half of the draw. So they've got real chances of getting through to the final as well. Yeah, I think uh, Barca are also investing uh, a lot of money and a lot of hope in the, in the um, women's team. And there's lots of good players coming out, whether they're signings or whether they're, they're local girls here from Barcelona. And for example, I'd like to point out a really good player who is Alexia Putellas. She's, she's young. She's only started um, four games out of eight in uh, the league. But she's already the top goal scorer with five goals. And in the game against Atletico de Madrid the other day, she was key in assisting Hamzawi, who then is, uh, Hamrawi, sorry, who then assisted uh, Tony Duggan with a, with a great um, pass. And she's really technical, really smart. So she's going to certainly be one of those key players in the future. Well, she's being key now, but she will be even more important in the future. Then, of course, as you mentioned, Aitana Bonmati. This girl looks really good. The goal was impressive. It's, it was a wonder goal. And I'm sure we'll be seeing much more of her in the near future. And then they had a signing from Olympique de Lyon this summer, which is Keita Hamraoui, Hamraoui, which I mentioned just, just before. She's also doing really good. So, I mean, the Barca women's team have lots of good players and they're going to keep growing. So I think the Champions League is something we're going to look towards very soon. Yeah, Hamraoui is a really interesting player, actually. I, I noticed in that game against Levante, she... First half, uh, she sort of wasn't really in the game, but then she just really stepped into it. She's got this real elegance about her. Very tall, she's got sort of bronze, sort of frizzy hair. You can see her a mile off because, you know, she looks obviously very different to a number of players around her. But but she had that class and that composure, and you're right, for the assist for Tony Duggan's goal. And and she celebrated it as if she'd scored it. Uh, You know, both both players, in fact, sliding on their knees. And, you know, what a moment that was uh, for Barcelona at home. And, of course, what it means is that Barcelona are one point behind behind Atletico in La Liga Iberdrola. As it happens, Atletico, one point behind Barcelona in La Liga. Uh, So it's time to look ahead to match day 13. And that is the game itself that we're going to uh, focus on in a moment. But let's just go through the the whole list of fixtures for match day 13. So we start off on Friday night, Abu Darque, Leganes against Alaves. So um, Mauricio Pellegrino welcoming back his his former side uh, as they come to Abu Then on Saturday lunchtime, uh, Real Madrid visits Ipurua to take on Eibar. Uh, Then we head to Mestalla for Valencia against uh, Rayo Valencia. Can see if Valencia can keep up their recent run of form, having won at Hetafe uh, last time out before the break. Then we go to um, El Sadio uh, El Algoraz for Huesca against Levante. Huesca, of course, just trying to get a little bit more feeling in their play under Francisco. And it seems like actually that the 5-4-1 that they're now employing is working a little bit more solid than what was going on before under Leo Franco. And then we've got that absolute showpiece game at the Wanda Metropolitano between Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, it's an 8.45 kickoff Spanish time. And then on Sunday, uh, we had the San Mames for Athletic Club versus Getafe. Interesting times there for Toto Berit. So needs to start making an impact and sharpish too. Uh, then at the Ramos Sanchez Pizjuan in Sevilla against Ravadolid, we go to from there to uh, Catalonia for in fact a Catalan derby uh, between uh, Espanyol and Girona, and then the final game on Sunday again pressure on the home side here and the home head coach because uh, Villarreal are taking on Ravetis with Javi Calleja uh, having to say before the international break if they're going to get rid of me they're going to get rid of me. Seems like actually for the moment he seems to have a vote of confidence. Uh, from the board of directors, but how long will that last? The Monday night game uh, is at Anueta. Uh, Real Sociedad taking on Ted who of course now have uh, Miguel Cardoso in charge uh, after the club parted company with Tony Mohamed. So that's the, the full list for match day 13 in La Liga. But let's focus on that game at the Wanda. As I mentioned, Atleti one point behind Barca. Their third, Barcelona are, are top of the table. Um, Paco, in terms of just, I suppose, rough context for this game, when you think about the clubs uh, respectively and their expectations for this 2018, 19 season how do you think they're doing compared to what they were hoping to do well i think that both are doing exactly what they were expected to do uh it is true that the ups and downs this season have been greater than for example last year and both barca and atleti lack the consistency they had last season for example but there's no doubt that this is a clash of titans, uh, choque de trenes, as we often say here, uh, opposite styles, opposite managers, but many similar qualities regarding ambition and drive to win. Barca are where they are supposed to be, top of the league, Atleti only one point behind, so I believe that both of them have 
uh, ambition and, and drive to win, as I said earlier, as as the main motivations. And, well, Messi, obviously, but that's a completely different matter. Uh, I don't know what, what will happen at the game, but I, I think that both of them will see how most of the international players come back from their games. Uh, but if they are top level, uh, it will be one one hell of a game. Yeah, let's let's hope so. I mean, and especially there's been some interesting comments, hasn't there, from uh, Antoine Griezmann um, about you know whether the fact that he might have been in the shadow of Leo Messi affected his decision not to go to Barcelona and instead stay at Atletico. And he kind of went, yeah, sort of. Um, but let's hope that they both perform to their absolute top level because then we'll get a belter of a game. Um, but Roman, if you're Diego Simeone, what approach do you take? Because admittedly, he's had rotten luck when it's come to injuries uh, pretty much the whole back four have been out so Savage Godin Jimenez Lucas Hernandez they've been playing they've been playing midfielders in that in that back line um, and, and just you know the fact that they are as I say in that top three top four one point behind Barca with the injuries they've had that is some achievement but but how does he approach this game with, with all of that going on well, it's going to be really tough for Simeone because he's got many injuries, as you just mentioned. We don't know if Lucas Hernandez is going to get there on time, if Jimenez is going to get there on time. So, I mean, they can't really do anything else apart from play how they know, you know. They have to defend well, be solid, counter-attack. Those are the, the main key points in Atletico's style of play. And I don't think he's going to change anything. So he just has to find maybe younger talents or maybe try a few things around. Montero could be playing. Um, Lucas Hernandez will probably make it from the last reports I've been reading, but of course you never know 100%. But I think he'll risk with Lucas, maybe Jimenez, who's already like running in the pitch. But Montero is a big possibility. But I don't think there's going to be any any random weird thing. Simeone always sticks to his plan, and he's going to just ma- motivate his players 100%, and they're all going to like bite from minute one to minute 90, and they're going to want to win whether they're playing with younger guys or the or the veterans are playing. Yeah, the, the unity is, is absolutely key for, for a Simeone side. We know this and it's one of those games maybe that if, if Lucas Hernandez is, is 70% fit, you'd, you'd probably risk him. Um, Jimenez has been a revelation this season. He's been excellent. And of course, behind them, well, you've got the wall of all walls, haven't you? Jan Oblak. And there's a lot of talk about his contract renewal uh, and whether that's going to happen soon. And you'd imagine that that's perhaps, along with Griezmann in the summer uh, and Simeone to come, that if you get those three nailed down, then, then you know, Atletico have got a really good baseline for the future. But of course, you know, they've got options now in, in midfield and some, some interesting choices here for Simeone, Paco. I mean, I'll come to you on this one. You know, he could play four we got this, if you like. I mean, there's a possibility here. If he really wants to shut up shop, Saul, Coque, Rodri, Tomas... I mean, can they all start? Is that the right approach for this game? I don't really think that that the Cholo Simeone will will change much regarding his usual uh, tactics. I I think Gabi's absence this year was going to be very tough to replace, but Rodri's season is proving every naysayer absolutely wrong because that kid is amazing. He plays incredibly well, and I can't believe how... Just how focused he is every single game under very harsh condition because uh, Atleti is, is one of the top teams in Europe and and it's very demanding for any player to be at their top of their game. But he consistently delivers in one of the most demanding midfields in, in Europe. So Saul, Koke and Rodri are one of the best midfields in the league. And sometimes I would enjoy that, that Simeone allowed them to be more let's say, free inside the pitch, less binded by the tactics and and keener to play quality football because they are very talented instead of working that hard and running around for 90 minutes and and pressuring Barca. But again, maybe if they did that, Atleti wouldn't be Atleti. So there goes that. Yeah, I mean, Domas for me, especially in that game against Athletic Club before the break, I mean, he was he was just phenomenal. And then you've got, you know, the wide option. So is he going to go for a wide option? Correa obviously is one. Lamar is back in the... In the you've got Mitolo as well. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got so many there. But I, I guess with Simeone, it's always the question of, is he going to take that risk? And, and you just feel this game at home to Barcelona, maybe it's not the game to do that unless it's on a defender he really needs, but maybe in the, in the midfield, he'll short 
things up. Um, let's switch to Barcelona and Roman. Uh, of course, Ivan Rakitic is banned, so he needs to be replaced in that starting eleven. Um, so Sergio Busquets, we will expect, will start. But but then who who do you put alongside him? We've seen um, Artur come, you know, obviously to the fore this season. We've seen Malcolm feature as well. Obviously, you've got Coutinho, who's had an injury recently. So so how would you line up? What sort of formation do you think that Ernesto Valverde will go for? Well, I think in this case, it makes sense to play with a 4-3-3, especially taking into account um, Atletico's problems at the back. So I think the more offensive lineup could be the right choice in this case. And to, to join Busquets in the midfield, I think I'd go with Artur, of course, because he's been one of the revelations for Barca at the moment, and he's really playing at a high level. So I think he's important there with Busquets. And with Artur and Busquets, I'd maybe add... Personal opinion, it won't happen for sure. I'd like to see Denis Suarez, but it's not going to happen, of course. Um, I think he deserves more minutes, but unfortunately Valverde doesn't see in him what others do. So maybe I think uh, Rafinha could be one of the other choices because he's been delivering when Valverde has brought him into play and he's been very reliable. Or if not, maybe even Sergi Roberto in the midfield and um, put Semedo as a right back because he's also been playing good games and delivering. So I think... It's going to be between Rafinha and Sergio Roberto, probably. But we'll see because he has many, many choices to pick between. Let's talk about a player who's um, admittedly a bit of an enigma at the moment. It went AWOL recently. Um, no one could get hold of him. Claimed that he had gastroenteritis. Um, he uh, hasn't been punctual. He's complained about the, the driver that he was given by the club. Uh, supposedly eating junk food. Maybe that's why he had gastroenteritis. I don't know. Um, and more besides. Uh, Paco, how do you solve a problem like Dembele? <laughs> that's maybe the toughest question of the show, right? Yeah. Uh, totally so. not fair. Totally not fair. <laughs> um, well, the, this whole matter is, is a total mess. And and the one to blame is, is the player himself. It, it's pretty easy to explain it. Uh, he might be very young and blah, 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 but he must be professional. That's a given. And if he's unable to do that, he isn't fit for a team such as Barca. Um, his teammates are... are are actually having his back and are supporting him. Uh, Gerard Piquet spoke publicly the other day and said he needs help. And Luis Suarez prompted him to watch how older and more experienced players behave. But at the end of the day, it depends only and exclusively on Dembele. If he really wants to become a world-class player, he needs to be professional. And if not, well, he can already see the door at the end of the corridor. Mm. Uh, it's interesting, actually, when you look at how the players treat him on the pitch. Because remember when he scored that absolute world in the Supercopa? You know, that bullet, that absolute you know, rocket of a shot. And it was mobbed by the players, mobbed by Messi, mobbed by the rest of them. And then I think, I'm going to get this right, I think it was Valladolid, wasn't it, where he scored the winner there on the on the really ropey pitch. And and it was like he was celebrating pretty much on his own. Um, and, and I wonder whether, you know, the dynamic has sort of changed um, behind the scenes. But whatever it is that's wrong, it needs to be addressed ASAP. Um, finally, to you both on this game, uh, where will it be won and lost? What do we think? Well, I think, as, as we talked about before, I think it's mainly in, in Cholo's and Atletico's defence. I think uh, if Lucas and Jimenez are there with Felipe and Arias or Juanfran, then I think they're going to be fine. But if Montero has to play, if he has to put Thomas at the back or make some weird change or, or lacking some important player, I think Barca will, will, be, will have the, the clear advantage. So I think Atletico's defence in this game will be crucial. In my case, I think that accuracy in front is is obviously one of the main points here. Uh, well, I think we should always talk about Messi like a, in, as a separate matter from the rest. If Messi has his day, we can close shop and go to have a walk on the park because he's going to dominate and brutalize Atletico de Madrid. So, uh, and yes, the world is brutalized because he's able to do that. He's the only player in the world able to brutalize any single team he wants when he wants. But leaving Messi aside, um, I think Atletico has a chance. If they are uh, accurate in front and, and they have pinpoint accuracy, I think that they they can do real damage to, to Barca's defense because they have allowed quite a lot of goals this season. Um, but again, Barca, for example, Luis Suarez is in, is in form this, this year. So he is able to, to uh, properly replace Messi's goals when he was absent. So I think the team 
that is able to make the most of their chances is going to win, hands down. Do you know what I'd do? If I was Diego Simeone and you're thinking, do you know what? I might be in a situation here where we're 1-0 down at home. I need to bring on someone to get a goal. I'd put Diego Gordine on the bench and I'd bring him on and put him up front because clearly that works. We saw that against Athletic Club. <laughs> and, you know, that, that man with the amount of desire that he has, you know, even if he's got two broken legs and he's got one arm falling off, I'm sure that he would still turn up, put a shirt on, sit on the bench and, and, and you know, uh, report for duty as it were. Um, but maybe, maybe Diego Simeone might have different ideas on that one. Um, guys, let's just um, quickly, um, if there's any other games in Match Day 13 that maybe jump off the page worth giving a brief mentioned to Roman any uh, anyone that really sort of uh, catch your eye well as a fellow Catalan I have to go with my Espanol Girona here in Catalonia uh-huh. yeah it looks like a pretty interesting game because obviously Espanol are, are incredible hard to believe but they're at the top near Barcelona near Sevilla near all the big teams and then Girona lately are on a good pretty good streak they're doing good they're playing well so I think it's going to be a very interesting game and also there's a bit of, um, as we say here, a pique, you know, controversy between both teams because Girona fans usually support more Barca and so Espanol don't really like that. So that can be a bit interesting, you know, towards the game. Yeah, and, and I think Espanol is key for them, especially having lost at Sevilla last time out, that they need to kind of reassert themselves, don't they? They don't want to think, right, well, they're, they're through the baton, they're through the, the sort of international break, and then they start fading and, and people start forgetting about them. They need to just show people they really are up for this fight. They've had a fantastic season so far with, if anything, maybe a tiny bit poorer squad than they had last season. And, and you know, they need to keep maintaining that. What about you, Paco? What do you think? Any other games that, that really jump off the page? Obviously, another crucial game for Valencia at home against Rayo because every single Valencia game is crucial this season in La Liga because they have to play catch-up after such an appalling start of, of year and they are going to do so, I believe, till the last match day. They are so, so behind. And I would also tell fans to keep an eye on Villarreal. They play home against a very informed Real Betis and... Who knows what will happen with Javi Calleja, regardless of what he said before the break. If they lose again in front of their crowd, I believe it's curtains for him. Mm, yeah, I think you're probably right. And especially Betis buoyed by that win uh, over Barcelona at, at the camp now uh, in that mad, mad uh, seven-goal thriller. If they can keep up the momentum there, then Villarreal really do have a, a job on their hands. I, I'm fascinated by... I, I want to see what Miguel Cardoso is about. So, you know, this first game in charge of Celta Vigo away to Real Sociedad at Anueta on a Monday night. It's probably going to be raining. Um, he, he likes a, a 4-2-3-1. Um, that's his preferred formation. It'll be interesting to see what he does with Iago with Aspas and Maxi Gomez, whether he keeps that as a partnership that are quite close or does he sort of drop Iago Aspas a little bit deeper in the pitch? What does he do with Bryce Mendes? Has that affect some of the other players? Um, because there, there is talent there. Clearly, there's lots of talent at Celta Vigo. It's just that Tony Mohamed didn't quite know the best way to harness it. So, so that's the one that actually, for me, um, just strikes me. And I reckon that could be quite an interesting game. Um, right. Well, guys, that is pretty much a, a wrap. And b- before we go, just a few reminders, uh, as always, for where to find us on other platforms. Don't forget our Twitter feed. We're growing all the time. We're at La Liga Lowdown. All the squad are involved in updating that Twitter feed uh, every single day, hour by hour. Our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash La Liga Lowdown. Uh, both of the gents on this uh, podcast have been involved in stadium sit downs recently. Uh, Roman outside the camp now, and of course, Paco outside Mestalla. So do check that series out, particularly uh, our website for all of our content in one place, uh, www.laligalowdown.com. And of course, as far as this podcast is concerned, whether you're listening uh, on uh, Apple or Android or whichever way, um, do give us a rating, preferably five stars. That really does make a difference and my thanks to Paco Polit you're welcome David see you next time and my thanks to Roman Derker as well it's been a pleasure once again see you soon I'm David Greeno that is your La Liga Lowdown see you next time This was a Radio Staccato production. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.